time. Uh, but today is not only a celebration, um, but we wanted to just kind of have a time where we talk about what's going on, not only in the graduates' lives, but in our life in general. Uh, we can all agree that this past year was a roller coaster of a year, right? A lot of ups and downs, a lot of things that we weren't expecting. Uh, it was a crazy year, not only for students and parents, but for all of us involved. There was just some craziness. And I, as I started thinking, like, this is something that we have never experienced. We never imagined that we would experience something like this. Uh, we probably never want to experience this ever, ever again, right? And I started thinking, we, I don't know if we could have been prepped for anything like this. The, the, the fear, the chaos, the unknown, just the disappointment that this year was. We couldn't have expected it. We couldn't have been prepped for... Actually, no, I take that back, okay? Um, personally, I think when it came to this year, I think I was prepped for disappointment. Um, if you know anything about me, you know that I am a diehard Jets fan, New York Jets fan. So when you hear... New York Jets, it's synonymous with disappointment. This is, this is my life. This is what I live through year in and year out. There, there is never any hope in this. Take, for example, my jersey collection. I, uh, I, I collect jerseys. I used to collect more, but of course I got married and have kids, so funds are a little low, um, and I don't get approval from my wife. But... Um, one of the things with, with, with my jersey collections is um, it's starting to dwindle down. Um, I, I just want to show you a couple of the jerseys that I have. I have um, the best left tackle uh, back in the day, DeBrickishaw Ferguson. He's retired, and he only played with the Jets, so I can still wear that. Um, I have my Jericho Cotri, awesome wide receiver. I actually went to church with him. Uh, not to brag, but I put together his first baby's crib. Um, just, I put that in my resume when I applied at this church. Um, but this is when it gets a little sad because these next three jerseys were jerseys that I purchased within the last two years. And unfortunately, they're worthless now. I can't wear them. This is of Jamal Adams who got traded last season and I can't wear this anymore. Um, this one was a gift. Le'Veon Bell, a gift from my intern. And three weeks later... He was, tra he was released. Um, I never even got to wear it, okay? <laughs> and then, of course, three years ago, the Jets drafted a quarterback with the third overall pick in Sam Darnold. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. And so, disappointment was what I've known. And that's one of the things that I think with this year prepped me for. I was prepped for disappointment. And the thing is, as we talk about our graduates and kind of talk about life, we have to understand that God's purpose and plan for our lives, he's been prepping us in the past. He's been prepping us and getting us ready to this point. So for our graduates, God has prepared you for this moment. As you take that next step, as you find out what your purpose and what your plan is for the future, God has prepped you. 
but not only our graduates, but church in general. We know that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And he has prepped us for those exact same moments. I mean, Ephesians talks about, Paul talks about in Ephesians that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God has created us with a purpose and a plan for his glory. We all have that. I think it's moments, moments like these, like graduation, marriage, parenthood, that are, are, are moments where life milestones that are heightened, and all of a sudden we start asking these questions. What is my purpose? What am I here to do? And of course we ask, am I ready for this? Am I equipped? Am I prepared for this moment? And again, it's heightened during life milestones, but we also know that these happen every single day of our life, where we're asked by God to do something, and we wonder, are we equipped? Are we prepared for what God has for us? So as I started thinking about today, there was a passage that came, uh, came to mind, and we're going to be looking at. So if you have your Bibles or your uh, Bible apps, you guys can turn to Exodus chapter 3. And as you guys are turning there, I want to kind of give you a little background of what's going on, all right? Um, during this time, um, the Israelites are in, uh, in Egypt, and they've been there for a couple of hundred years, all right? A couple of years, um, and a pharaoh has come into place that, doesn't know, that didn't know Joseph, that is kind of a little bit overwhelmed, scared at the numbers of the Israelites, that they're outnumbering the Egyptians. And so he starts to make some changes, and one of the changes that he makes is that he enslaves the Israelites. And so during this, this is kind of when, when Moses shows up on the scene, where Moses is now being asked to do something that he's not prepared to do, or so he thinks, that he's not equipped to do, or so he thinks. And so Moses shows up on the scene, and a couple of things about Moses. One, he, he grew up in Pharaoh's court, even though he's an Israelite. He, he grew up in Pharaoh, but then in Pharaoh's court, but then as he's growing up, he actually uh, runs, runs away because he actually kills an Egyptian because he saw the Egyptian uh, mistreating an Israelite, one of his own. And so out of anger, out of, res- you know, kind of respect and unity with his own kind, he goes and kills the Egyptian and then runs away. And then for 40-something years, he's on the run. And this is where we find ourselves now in Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your, your Bibles God shows up on the scene through a burning bush. And this is what God tells Moses. Exodus chapter uh, 3, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard 
them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them from the land to, um, to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. The Israelites' crying for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. When, when you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. This is by far, we're going to stop there and we're going to pick it up, but this is by far my favorite part of the passage that we're going to look at for a couple of reasons. One, it says, God says, I have seen and I have heard the cry of my people and I have a plan to rescue them. What a loving God. A God that sees and hears the cry of his people And has a plan to rescue them. Kind of a little foreshadowing of what's to come in the New Testament. Not only that, but he approaches Moses. Now again, in the church world, we hear Moses and we go, but it's Moses. No, no, no. Moses isn't a man of God until this point. Moses was on the run for 40 years. Why? Because he was a killer. Because he ran away from his past. Yet he still shows up and chooses Moses. And chooses to use Moses. And then the third part that I love about this, this part is Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So when, when God tells Moses the plan, Moses isn't all gun-ho. Let's do it, God. I'm ready. No, no. He's like, hey, hey, God, um, you sure you got the right Moses? You sure you're not looking for the other Moses down the street? No, no. He is saying, who am I? But here's what I love. God's response, how God addresses the question, he says, I will certainly be with you. He never addresses Moses in his question. He doesn't tell Moses about himself. Hey, Moses, well, here, let me tell you a little bit about you. No, no, no. In a sense, God is telling Moses, I don't care who you are because I am with you. I will certainly be with you. And I think that's a good reminder for us to know that when God's purpose and plan comes to us, it has nothing to do with you. God's plan and purpose is rooted in him, in him alone, not in us. God's purpose for you is not reliant on your abilities, but on his plan in his presence. As his presence is with you every step of the way, That's what's going to allow you to accomplish your purpose. Accomplish what he created you for. We'll pick it back up in verse 13. 
It says, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. A land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to what, they, what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless he is forced by my strong hand. A little pause. I love how God tells Moses the purpose and your plan. There's going to be some opposition. Even though you're following what I'm telling you to do, there's going to be some opposition. Verse 20. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go, and I will give his, this people such favor in the sight of the Egyptians when you, when you go. You will not go empty-handed. Each woman will leave, will, will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. Verse 1 of chapter 4, then Moses answered, what if they don't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Moses ran from it. Who wouldn't? But the Lord told him, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So, that he, so he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, like snow. Then he said, put your hand back inside your cloak. He put it back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first, they, will, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. So God, again, you kind of see a pattern of Moses. He's got a, a question or an excuse every step of the way. And God says, well, you know, when, when Moses says, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't, they don't believe what I'm saying? God says, what's in your hand? And, and Moses says, a, a staff. And I think it's important to understand that Moses, for the last 40-something years, had been tending after a flock. 
This was something that he had been doing for 40 years. God, in a sense, was telling him, I have been every step of the way with you. I have prepped you for this moment. What's in your hand? What's in your life that I can use to accomplish my purpose? And what I love is, you have to understand, God was a part of Moses his whole life. The reason why Moses was in Pharaoh's court was because he was put down the Nile and found his way to Pharaoh's daughter. See, see, God's been at work in the life of Moses prior to even this moment. And God doesn't change. So, so God's been a part of your life and your past and has prepped you for moments like this. Moments to let you know what I have called you and what I have purposed you, I've prepped you for. You're ready for the calling. You're ready to accomplish what I have created you for. Now, I, I look at, at Moses, and I'm like, man, what a lucky dog. Dude got to, to throw his staff on the ground, turn into a snake, got to perform a little magic trick with his hand, the water and the blood. Like, man, wouldn't that be so cool? Like, for, for me, when I witness to people and tell them about God that I could, you know, take my iPhone and throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake. Or students, take your pencil and you throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake. Now do you believe me about God? Look. And I get a little jealous, but I start thinking about this. Those three were miraculous signs. They weren't the miracle itself. And what I love is that all three miracles involved a form of transformation. Change. And I don't know about you, but miraculous signs are cool, but miracles are better. And can I tell you that you yourself are a walking and living miracle? That when you encounter Jesus, there's a transformation that happens that's radical. Where people see you, and they see a difference in you. Wherever your feet go, wherever your life goes, there's something different about you. And it's not you, but it's God's work in you. It's God himself. And so remember that your journey up to this point has prepared you for what's, of, for what's ahead. Sometimes we, we live our lives oblivious to the work that God has done in the past. And we forget that God's been at work this whole time. Let's continue with the passage. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, it says, But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recent or since you have uh, been speaking to your servant because I am slow and hesitant in speech. The Lord said to him, Who made the, the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? Seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, isn't Aaron the, uh, the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he's on his way to meet you now. When he sees you, his heart will rejoice. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak, and will teach both uh, what to say. 
He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and you will serve as God to him. And then, and take this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. I, I wanted to finish reading this passage because one of the things that, that's constant in this passage is God's abundant grace. I don't know as you read this passage, but Moses has a lot of excuses. Moses has a lot of reasons why he's not the person to do this. And never once did God look at Moses and go, I'm done. I'm fed up. Enough. Just go out. You know what? You might be right. I might have gotten the wrong Moses. Never does he say that. He is constant in showing his grace. Moses, I am with you. I will help you. It is not about you. It's about me. And I think sometimes in life, we're, we're shown the purpose, the plan, the, the thing that God has for us, and we are just like Moses. We have every excuse available, every reason why not to do something. But God's saying, I'm with you. And I don't know how many times I've failed. God hasn't given up on me. God's still with me. As I stand here, a 35-year-old man married with two kids, I look at my past, and I have so many regrets. And I'm not talking about, I wish I would have invested early in Bitcoin or in Tesla. I'm not talking about those type of regrets, although I do have those. But I'm talking about regrets where I look back and I look at the missed opportunities that I didn't take. Where God showed and told me, Carlos, this is what you're called to do. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what I want you to do. The conversation I want you to have right now. And I said, well, maybe later. Or maybe somebody else will do it. I don't want to live like that. I don't know you, but I can... I can guarantee that you don't want to live like that. Looking back, years back, thinking I could have done more for the kingdom. And so God's grace is abundantly clear in this passage. And it's abundantly clear in our life. And so I want to encourage you. If you have experienced God's grace in your life, know that God's grace is still there along the way. That God still has that calling and that purpose in your life. And as far away as you think you are from him, that grace is still available. And he still has that plan and that purpose for you. But then maybe some of you aren't here and you've never experienced God's grace in a personal way. Before you can have purpose, before you can have that abundant life that God has created you for, you need to have that relationship with him first and experience that grace. The Bible is very clear that we are all sinners and that because of that we fall short of God's glory. 
and he hears our cries and sees our suffering, and he has a plan. And that plan's name is Jesus. And he came, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and three days later came back to give us an opportunity to know grace. And so as we celebrate our graduates and celebrate their accomplishments, there's no bigger celebration than knowing grace in a personal way. And living a life with a bigger purpose than ourselves. Because if your life, if your purpose is based on you, you're going to fail miserably. But when our life, our plan, our future, our purpose is what God has for us, it doesn't matter about us. Because God's there every step of the way. But we have to take that first step.